Greetings, Sci-Fi Universe. Owen Cotter here. Join me, your host, as we discuss all things geek chic and out of this world on Sci-Fiction Radio, your galactic transmission portal to all things science fiction and beyond. In this show, I'll be talking with science fiction author Rebecca Hardy. Sit tight while Rebecca joins us here shortly. Rebecca, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Welcome to the show. How are things with you today? Good, great. How are things with you? Doing pretty good, doing pretty good. That's good to hear. That's good to hear. Well, let's get started here. For the listeners, can you introduce yourself and tell everyone a little bit about the things you do and so forth? Sure, sure. Um, my name's Rebecca Hardy, and um, I'm a longtime science fiction fan. I grew up in Canada in the 70s and 80s watching shows like Batman and the original Star Trek and Space 1999. I love all that stuff, and I still love it. Um, I moved to the U.S. in 89 and call Massachusetts home. Um, for the past 15 years, I've made a career of helping authors promote their work through online marketing, social media, blogs, things like that. Um, a couple of years ago, I decided it was time I finally got my own writing out there. And this summer, I published my debut novel, The Warren, which is book one of what I call the Severance Living Legacy Saga, and much more to come on that. Very cool. Very cool. So you uh, basically help authors out and stuff. That's really cool. And you Star Trek fan. That's awesome. Well, let's <laughs> talk about your, your new book. Uh, now, it's book one of a series you've created, like you said. Can you tell everyone about your book, like the plot of the novel, the characters, and so forth? Sure. Um, I'll try to keep it brief, but <laughs> there's a lot to it. Um, I'll start off with the kind of the, the idea surrounding it. Um, the Severance series is a work of hard science fiction. Um, book one, The Warren, is basically a story about people fighting for their memories. And when I say memories, I mean all kinds of memories, not just the ones we instantly think about from a conscious standpoint, but how the universe can be viewed as this sort of hyper-hologram storing a, a limitless collection of data we perceive as our physical reality. Um, you can kind of think of it like a, a giant holographic memory bank. Um, physicists like Brian Greene talk about this a lot, and it's been talked about more and more in recent years, you know, in relation to quantum physics. So that's kind of mm. where I got my idea from. Um, so I'll start with a little backstory um, the, on the Warren, book one, which is um, written in the introduction. It starts out in Dorset, England, 1348, about the time of the be- the Black Plague. Um, three aliens come to Earth via a teleporter they call a well that connects with a place called Lowworth Cove. And two of them split off. They go their separate ways, abandoning the third, whose name is Foster Luck. Foster not only gets left behind with no plans and no way home, he's lost his memory. So he has no idea who he is, where he came from, why he's here, why he's been abandoned. So this is our first indication of a memory problem in the story. On top of the amnesia, they leave him holding an infant whose parents died in the teleport accident when he connected with the cove. So Foster ends up raising the boy, Quinn, as his own, eventually confiding in Quinn how he got to Earth. And over time, they develop a strong friendship, and Quinn becomes bent on helping Foster get home by building his own teleportation well. Unfortunately, as you can imagine, in the 1300s, Earth is still a long way from that sort of technology. But one thing that comes to light during that time is Foster's ability to play mind games. He can, you know, telepathy, remote viewing, dream work, those sorts of things make up his bag of tricks, and he's very good at messing with people's heads. Um, Another thing that comes to light is Foster's invincibility. While Quinn's 
mortality as a human um, eventually catches up with him, Foster seems invincible, and the only thing that seems to be shot is his memory. So eventually Quinn passes away, and um, Foster is left to continue his search for answers on his own, only to cross paths with another young boy years later. And at this point, this mysterious um, cognitive bioprogram gets triggered in his mind that he didn't know he had. And with a little practice, he realizes that not only is it keeping track of his relationships, it recognizes Quinn from his past life. So the boy he's crossed paths with is Quinn, reincarnated. Somehow, lifetime after lifetime, Foster Quinn and his friends always seem to cross paths and pick up where they left off. While this program in Foster's head, which they end up calling the template, keeps track of their circle of friends. Um, so, But while everyone else lives and dies, Foster remains invincible, maybe immortal, and he and Quinn question if the template has something to do with the reason Foster was sent to Earth. And it's not until 1945, at the end of World War II, when Foster finally gets a few answers by tracking down one of the aliens who's joined something called the Warren Project, which is where the book really gets its name. Um, the Warren Project is a secret program funded by the Pentagon um, in Camp Hero, New York, which some of your listeners would probably recognize as the site of the mysterious Philadelphia experiment back in the day. Um, uh-huh. They're dedicated. The project is dedicated to finding out why the aliens are on Earth, how invincible they are, how to build one of these teleportation wells. Um, but while the alien who joined the project wants nothing to do with Foster, um, he and Quinn end up developing this secret relationship with Warren Matthews and his science team who head up the um, the Warren Project for Camp Hero. And their plan is to work undercover, undermining Camp Hero, who they already know is up to no good. And Quinn at this point is more determined than ever to have a working well before Camp, camp Hero does. And at that point, Earth's technology is finally starting to catch up and the teleportation race really starts to heat up. So Chapter 1 gets us to 2012 um, with Foster and Quinn, who's become this sort of modern-day Tesla, hard at work on finishing his own well. Um, But the the deeper Quinn looks into the Warren Project, the more questions he has about himself, his circle of friends, ever the woman he can't live without and meeting foster back in 1348 seems to be less and less of a coincidence so while foster is still struggling struggling with his amnesia quinn has his own memory problems um he's he sort of feels like he's having this identity crisis as he begins to wonder what might have happened to him and his friends before Foster came into his life. He also struggles with a photographic memory that hinders his ability to focus on anything. So friends and enemies alike all face this multitude of memory problems, which leave them questioning who they really are. But their their larger memory problem, um, which is the, the the underlying premise of the book, is um, they. The idea that we live in this hyper-holographic universe, which is shaping our reality, and um, for Quinn, understanding how to use that to their advantage in the race to a working well, um, basically he assumes you know, the universe is a collection of stored memories, and um, the only way to teleport is through quantum tunneling, so... Um, so like I said, to sum it up, there's they're basically a story about them fighting for their memories in a couple of different ways, all relating to their mysterious, timeless relationships, why the aliens came to Earth, um, and, you know, there's a there's a philosophical side to it as well. It sort of takes the idea of, 
you know, if a tree fell in the woods, does it make it sound to the next level? This story would ask, you know, if you don't observe the tree, does it exist at all? <laughs> That's where the hyper-holographic universe comes into play. But um, yeah. it's all about memory. Very cool. Wow. Well, let's talk more yeah, about Yeah, there's these, a lot uh, to it. <laughs> yeah, let's just talk more about these, like, alien teleportation devices that you call wells. Now, like, the aliens in your book got to Earth with the wells. Now, the book deals with some rather deep topics, like we're talking about, for instance, when your character in the story, I think he decides he wants to figure out how to teleport one's memories, like you said. Now, in your own words, can you kind of go more in depth and explain, like, to listeners about the hyper-holographic universe, like, exactly like, what it is and how one's mind shapes reality, like, around us and stuff? Sure. Um, um, it's probably easy to describe that through telling you sort of how the wells work. Um, it, mm. I think it's a little bit different. I mean, I, I'm not, I haven't researched everything out there, but I think it's a little different from some of the ideas out there now. I'm sure all your listeners are familiar with Star Trek, you know, beaming people mm. and Stargate and um, sliders. I think used to use wormholes in that TV series. And basically right. they're all pushing matter, you know. They're all pushing matter through matter streams. Um, and I know Star Trek transporters rely on their Heisenberg compensators, um, which measures every particle in every possible way and sends the matter to new coordinates. Um, you know, Stargate's teleportation rings, they really don't tell you how that stuff works. But um, <laughs> basically, like I said, in, in my story, Quinn Stevens, he's sort of the modern-day Tesla, he takes the position that we're, we're living in sort of a hyper-holographic universe. It's a, it's a two-dimensional, two-dimensional reality that we perceive in 3D. So um, in this model, we regard the physical and non-physical as essentially it's a collection of memories. And in a hologram, you have no, you have non-locality, which means um, the part of it, the part of it you're experiencing, um, all of the other parts are also there. In other words, on the sub-quantum level, all points in space become equal, and location ceases to exist. Um, so, in essence, if if we're really in a hologram, you, the way you could think about it is. The other person's already in in the other teleportation well. They just haven't been manifested yet. Um, mm. So it's kind of it's kind of um, a different concept, I think, from what's out there. But um, it, it kind of gets around. It, it also kind of gets around some of the problems with um, you know. I think some of the traditional ways of, of thinking about teleportation. You know, time being one thing. Um, time wouldn't matter in a hologram because um, because of non-locality. Everything would be instantaneous because everything is part of the the whole. So, does that answer your question? <laughs> yeah, that's pretty. Wow, that's a great explanation. Wow, yeah, it really does. And uh, you know, continue with the topic like you said, like the mind and your book deals with memories. Now, based on one's thought patterns, you know, I kind of believe that one can shape the reality based on memories, especially like in your book. And also, like, however, especially in modern, you know, like in modern society, today we're under, and this is just my opinion, but we're, like, under constant attacks against consciousness via, like, people's minds being programmed, like, the, by the media, movie industry, and even, like, the food you eat, I guess. But what are your thoughts on, like, the real-life hyper-holographic universe that's projected all around us that we live in today in reality? Just curious. Well, I've I've read um, 
quite a few articles on this, and you know, like I said, physicists like Brian Greene talks about this, and it, it mm-hmm. makes a lot of sense to me. You know, it just it makes a lot of sense the way um, the way a hologram works and and the way we perceive things. Um, you know, I just think the question the, the answers are beyond our grasp. Because if you really think about it, we are so limited as human beings. Uh, we see less, we see and hear and sense less than, you know, one percent of the electromagnetic and acoustic spectrums. You know, we're very limited beings. Um, but if if you think about it, um, the the way subatomic particles work and all that, it, it's kind of wild to think about. Um, you know. Physicists will tell you that there's a lot of um, space between atoms and, and particles and things like that. And, and when we're, we're perceiving something, like I'm perceiving picking up this pen on my desk, I'm not really right. touching it, you know? I mean, that's what, phys- right. that's what physics would tell you. I'm not really touching this pen, but in my mind I think I'm touching this pen. So, um, yeah, I, I think it's um, it's interesting to, to think about the world in those terms of that we're living in this sort of hologram. Um, I think it's a little different than the Matrix. You know, that that was different. That was sort of a virtual reality sort of um, take on things. That was sort of a man-made, um, you know, computer-simulated idea right. of the universe. So I, I think it's, uh, you know, it, it's got some merit, I think it's, uh, you know, I'll be honest with you, quantum physics is kind of beyond my grasp. I understand, like, the basics of it, but um, if you were to to read into it a little bit, I think, you know, I think you'd find it interesting. It seems to make a lot of sense. Uh Well, yes, I agree with you on that. And, you know, like you were just talking about people thinking, like your book talks about self-awareness. Now, most people think about, like, self-aware, like, yeah, like, just being, like, knowing what they're doing at the moment. Like you're talking about picking up the pen and so forth. Now, how I think like you know it's a vast field, but just more than that. Curious as to your thoughts on the topic of like self-awareness and applied to the idea that some can read what I mean, what I like to call the code base that's all around them, and like you mentioned, like the real world matrix. Oh, like psychics and people like that. You know, I just well, think. Um, yeah. Or just in general, like reading the you know overall just the the holographic, you know, projected architectural illusion that's all around us and just, just being able to nass through the, the culture, society, everything like it's all like the media, all that stuff. Oh, are you talking about sort of like a sort of like a mind control idea? Yeah, yeah. Is, is, just curious like what are your thoughts on that like topic? Um, you know, that's that's kind of a difficult topic to, to tackle. Um the way I approach it in the book, um, you know, with self-awareness is these people basically have to go back in time and keep digging deeper and deeper until they find out who they really are. Um, as mm. far as the way we w- the way we live today with the media and everything, um, mm. I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know if um, if we're actually being controlled, you know. I mean, I'm sure they they want to control us to a point. They want us to think certain things and they want us to get on on board with with their agendas and and things. But it's it's kind of an interesting thing to think about, you know, if we if we ignored all that and we took ourselves sort of out of that equation, you know, you stopped watching 
all the media and, and all those things, um, you know, does it start to change the the reality? Um, I just uh, I just saw something really interesting on the uh, the internet the other day, and it was in relation to um, catas- well not catastrophic but terrible world events, and they were measuring the consciousness of people around the globe, like for example, around the time just before nine eleven, um, you know, when when the crisis hit. And they said um, the consciousness around the world that they were measuring suggested that a great number of people around the world were were very upset and very worried. So I think there's something to that. I mean, they can actually measure that now, or that at least they, that's what they claim, you know. Um, and it, it's interesting to think about how if 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 as a if if as a, a collective. Um, consciousness, if, if we're all contributing to our reality, you know, how we're all affecting each other or creating, sort of creating our own reality as we go. Do you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I agree with you on that. It's very fascinating. I didn't even I didn't even read that article, but I believe that it's very possible people can measure that. But, you know, like before 9-11, you had, it was kind of, you know, it wasn't easy going. We had wars like in Iraq and all that. But it was almost like is like that's a catalyst point, focal point in human history where it's almost like literally after that it became hardcore fear-based, you know. It's just like you go to an airport, it's like you've got all these code orange, code wrong, code what, you know, it's just like, you know, if you stress out, if you get people stressed out in public and their food sources, but I mean, it's almost like a form of control if you, you know, keep people all in line and check. But that's very interesting topic, very interesting. Let's get back to your book a little bit here. Now, your book's sci-fi, and it's got aliens and stuff. Now, I have two questions. First off, you know, I assume your aliens look like humans, but they can blend in and stuff. He and your uh, main character can live hundreds of years. I believe it's uh, 666 after he lands in 1300s England. Now, right. I'm curious, how, how long, how are they, is their technology able to, is their health better? I know he goes into like having trouble with his mind. Just how do they how do they live longer than the regular humans? Is that just their genetic makeup? Or? Actually, it's um, a process of the the teleportation. Um, it, well, it's it's a pro it's a byproduct of the teleportation. Basically, um, to to get here or to get through the teleportation process, they have to be able to survive the ride. So what happens yeah. is um, when you put someone in a well. Um, the idea behind it is you bring their body into a state of awareness where they sort of see. Well, I, in the book, they develop a formula, um, you know, and they give this to the person, and it basically create gives their body um, a heightened sense of awareness, and they actually learn how to self-heal their body. Um, and I kind of get the idea, I don't know if you've ever heard of Bruce Lipton, um he's he's got the he's got some books out and um he's he subscribes to what he calls the bio, the biology of belief which basically means if you believe you can heal yourself you can heal yourself and it it explains the phenomenon people experience you know for some reason the woman who was terminally ill with cancer you know is suddenly in remission you know and she suddenly healed or the tumor shrink you know, an mm. unbelievably fast amount of time. So anyway, in the in the book, they end up developing a formula that allows people to basically um, heal themselves, and then we bring the the body into alignment with their consciousness. 
and then um, the the well uh, records basically the person's identity, the physical and the conscious identity. So it brings this body into the, almost a perfect state. You know, depending on who's creating the well would depending on how how precise they get it. But whoever sent Foster and and his aliens, um, the other aliens through, you know, they they got it pretty close. So in other words, when Foster came through. Um, and he got remanifested on this side, you know, when he when he came to England, his his it's kind of like muscle memory, you know, how you re, you know how some parts of your body remember pain. Um, it's kind of like that idea where his body kind of remembered this perfect state that they created for him, so he could survive the ride to get here. Does that make sense? Oh yeah, yeah, I understand that completely. I understand that. Now okay. you you said this. This is the first of several books, I believe. It's a legacy saga. Now, since it's a series yeah. of books, how, how many books are you looking at, like, writing in total that you, like, kind of, like, plan out? Or, like, what's your thoughts on that? I, Yeah, I've got the next one I hope to publish next year. Um, that'll be book two. I've got at least, I don't know. There, you know what? There's so many characters, and I've got so many ideas. I'm planning on at least probably six books. And like I said, there's so many characters. Um, I could do a lot of spin-offs. You know, there's there's a right. like Qu- Quinn is like Quinn is one of the main characters. Foster's definitely a main character. Um, then there's this character Ever. She's a main character. But then there's this group um, that you know. There's this group of like we call them the kids in the book. They work for Quinn, and they're basically a bunch of geeks. You know, they're your typical lovable um, geeky misfit people who, you know, can just do amazing things. I mean, I could do a lot of spin-off books and just have like, you know, the tales of, you know, Will and 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 Fry or, you know, pick a couple of right. characters and and have adventures for them. I, I kind of view my series um as evolving into something you know, sort of in the same vein as like a Marvel Universe or a DC Comics where I've got all these amazing characters who can do all these things. And, you know, at times they'll they'll work together and at other times, you know, we could do a spinoff and, and they could, you know, have some adventures of their own. Right. Yeah, that's all. Wow, that's really, that's really cool. Well, I'm just curious, like, you mentioned Marvel DC or, or stuff like that. Are there any sci-fi stories or movies or TV shows that kind of gave you, like, the inspiration when creating your book series and just your first book, The Warren? Um, the inspiration for The Warren mostly came from reading science blogs <laughs> and, and watching mm-hmm. guys like Brian Greene and, and people like that talk. But um, as far as the character development goes, I mean, yeah, I can't say there's there's probably um you know characters in the in the DC or Marvel world that sort of in some ways influenced me i mean there are there's tons, there's so many superheroes out there you know um and they're all very cool i guess you could probably i i always compare Quinn Stevens to you know he's he's sort of a modern day tesla you know but yeah. he's he he can also be compared to sort of a Bruce Wayne kind of character um in the book he develops a company called Quest Inc and he's yeah. kind of this, you know, Bruce Wayne sort of character. But uh, but yeah, I love I, I love Marvel and DC. I I actually last night I watched Captain America: The Winter Soldier, and I loved it. So yeah, I'm always I'm always getting inspired from you know a lot of different a lot of different types of sci-fi out there. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was, uh, I was watching that Captain America. That I like the part uh, where they kind of download, like your book talks about consciousness. They download that uh, Nazi guy's consciousness into yes. a computer. Like, that, was, that was a really yeah. cool part. Really. Well, right quick before you in the show, well, first off, I have one last question um, before you in the show. Is there like a message that your book in general strives to deliver to the reader? And like, if so, like what's that in your own words? Um, I guess the biggest message um, it would probably deliver by the end without giving away any kind of a spoiler is kind of, you know, be conscious of being true to yourself. You know, it comes back to that self-awareness. And, um, you know, a lot of people go through life and they wonder, who am I? You know, who am I really? Some people... Some people think, you know, they don't belong here or, you know, they just kind of feel like aliens unto themselves in a sense. And, um, you know, that's kind of what these characters um, all go through. They're all going through this process of figuring out who they are and, and why they're here and what their purpose is. So I guess that would be the main message of the story. Very, very cool. Awesome. Well, uh, before we end the show, uh, are there, like, any website links or information that you'd like to give out to the listeners to find out more about your books and upcoming projects? Sure. I have a um, a website dedicated to the series, and it's just severance.com. But I'll spell it out because it's kind of a strange um, st- kind of a strange spelling. I've got a silent X in there. It's um, S is in Sam, E, V is in Victor, E, R, X, A, N is in Nancy, C, E, dot com and um all the information is on there about the book um you can read the introduction there's a link to amazon and um if they want to check it out on amazon there's there's quite a there's quite a lot of um i I don't know how far it goes but you know how you can do the look in the book thing on amazon um Mm. you can read well past chapter one if you want to get a feel for the book and um yeah, there's a, there's a lot of information on the website if you want to follow me and and um, you know check me out on social media. I've also got a book trailer that we developed on the homepage. Um, that's kind of fun to watch. That basically lays out the introduction that I gave you in the beginning of our um, our show here, and it's kind mm. of kind of fun to watch the visual. So they can find everything through there. Very cool. Yeah, I like that trailer. That trailer is really cool, really cool. Well, excellent, yeah, excellent. very well done. Yes, indeed. Well, Rebecca, it was a pleasure having you on the show, and I really enjoyed our talk. Thank you. I did, too. Well, you you have a good day, and you take care. Okay, you too. Bye-bye. This is Owen Cotter thanking you for listening to Sci Fiction Radio. Don't forget to visit our website at www.scifiction.com.